Well, a good morning to all of you. Uh, my name is Stuart Mazell. I'm the lead pastor here. It's great to see all of you here. Great to have all of you joining us online. I do want to say, um, I know there's some new faces in, in here, and I just want to say this really quickly. If you are looking for a perfect church, you have not found it. <laughs> but if you are looking for a church that uh, Jesus is the most important person in our lives, and we talk about Jesus, and we talk about the impact Jesus has had on our lives, and we want to be more like him, then you might be in the right place if that's what you're looking for. Um, we don't claim to be perfect, because we're not. We don't claim to be anything other than people who want to love and serve Jesus. And that's part of why we're doing this series, Tell Me Something Good, because there's so much bad in the world today. Every time you turn on the news, it's just awful. And sometimes you don't even have to turn on the news. You can just hear it from other people talking around you. We need to hear something good. And boy, do I have some good news to share with you all today. From Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. And here is what the Holy Spirit said, not only to the church in Galatia about 2,000 years ago, but to us today. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let me pray for us. Father, I feel my weakness today. Would you please, by your spirit, fill and empower me that your strength, your power would be shown in my weakness. And not only that, but by your spirit, would you give each person listening to this passage of scripture and the message that you would give them ears to hear, that you would give them soft hearts, that you would give them minds that would understand so that this wouldn't be seed that is spread upon the ground and then the birds come and take it away. No, we would ask that this would be seed that would land in good, fertile soil and we would leave here producing fruit a hundredfold. And Lord, we know only you can produce fruit in us, so we're asking, produce the fruit of faith the fruit of repentance, the fruit of obedience, the fruit of truly believing what you say is true. 
and let that be not only the foundation, but the lifeblood of who we are that we would leave here today changed in some way by your spirit. Bring that about for your glory, for our good, and even for the good of the community around us. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Marie Antoinette. Marie Antoinette. Anybody? There, there she is. Handsome woman, right? Um, she was the queen of France in the 1700s. The, the wife of King Louis XVI. Uh, she was known for living in lavish luxury while the people of France were starving to death. She is often attributed with the saying, the people have no bread, then let them eat cake. Now she probably didn't actually say that. Um, the first time the quote was attributed to her was in 1843, 50 years after her death, and one writer said that he found the quote in the book from 1760 when Marie Antoinette was only five years old. But maybe she did say it when she was five. That sort of sounds like what a five-year-old would say. You don't have bread? Eat some cake. She's gotten a bad rap for all of that, and, and, and rightly so. But there is a, a, a nicer, kinder, more loving side to her that you may not know about. You see, in 1776, Marie Antoinette was out riding in a carriage when a little boy ran out in front of her. The boy was probably four to five years old, and he almost got run over by the carriage. And then when she, the carriage stopped and she got out and she started talking to the boy, and she found out that the boy's mother had just died recently, and he was an orphan. And on the spot, she adopted him. <laughs> as her own child. And that's not the only time she did that. Uh, when one of her maids died, the queen adopted the maid's little girl as her own. When a visitor from another country came and offered a, a parrot and a boy, and the boy was supposed to be used as a servant, she didn't cause him to be a servant, she adopted him him into the family as her own. Imagine what it's like to be poor, orphaned, and even destined for a life of servitude, and then to be adopted into a royal family. Imagine that. Well, that's where the good news comes today, because we may be poor in many ways, we may be orphaned in many ways, we may be slaves in many ways, but here's the good news. Sinners, like us, sinners are adopted into God's family through Jesus. Sinners are adopted into God's family through Jesus. Now let's take a look at where, where we get this from. We see this in Galatians 4, 
Paul is writing to the church in Galatia. There's a lot of problems there we could get into, but I just want you to focus on what he says in these two verses. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those, to buy those, to purchase those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. In other words, at just the right time, God sent Jesus, who, being born of a woman, being born under the law of God, he obeyed that law, he died to purchase people for God, he rose from the dead, and then he says, you who believe in me can be children of God, adopted into the family. Now, there may be some of you in the room who are saying, well, wait a second, I thought we were all children of God. Isn't that what people say? You know, we're all children of God. Well, if if what you're talking about is that we were all created by God, I guess you could say that we're all children in that way. But when the scriptures talk about being children of God, it's talking about a very specific thing. And by nature, all of us, when we're born... We are not born children of God. In fact, it's even worse than anything you could imagine, as Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. Here's what Paul says in that chapter. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Not sick, not getting better, dead. In, and in these sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, <laughs> like the rest of mankind. So, so here, here's, here's what Paul is saying. You are so full of sin that you're not sick with it, you're dead. And so you're in such a bad situation because everything you do, everything you say, everything you think is tainted with sin. That's how bad it is. And God hates sin And therefore, when we sin, we deserve his wrath, his judgment against that sin. And so we're born into that from the very beginning. Little sweet, what we call sweet little innocent babies, it doesn't take long for that sin nature to pop up, does it? And yet God says to those sinners, people born into that, I want to adopt you into my family. Imagine going to a high security prison, going to a prisoner that is on death row, And not just any prisoner, but someone who has wronged you personally. Someone who has hurt you personally. Walking up to that person, 
looking them straight in the eyes and say, I forgive you. And not only that, I want you to be a part of my family. I I doubt there are any takers today for that. And yet that is what God has done for us. Because we were all on death row. Every one of us. And we had personally done things to harm the greatness and the glory of God. And yet God says, not only will I forgive you of your sin, I want you to be my child. I want to adopt you in. You hear how good a news that is? As uh, Thomas Manton said in his sermon, um, in the sermons upon Romans 8, Persons who were adopted, who were they? They were miserable sinners who were once strangers and enemies, children of wrath, even as others who had cast away the mercies of their creation and involved themselves in the curse. This wasn't some kind of thing where God was like, you know, I want someone who's got blue eyes and blonde hair and I want them to be really sweet and kind and I want to make sure that they're from a good family and I want to make sure there's no genetic defects or any problems at all. Uh, Can you get that for me, adoption agency? And the adoption agency says, it's going to be hard, but we'll try to find that. That's not what God does. No, he's like, I want the worst of the worst and I want to bring them into my family. Wow. Wow. And that's me. That's you. That's any of us. And that's what God, that's the grace that God shows to us. And, and this adoption doesn't just happen by happenstance. It happens because of Jesus. It happens through Jesus. As we read in John 1, verses 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, all who received Jesus by faith, all who believed in his name, he gave the right, the right to become children of God. He gave them that right. And they were not born of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. God is behind this. God is the one who says, I want to adopt people like this into my family. Let that sink in. As Scotty Smith says in an article entitled, The Freedom of Adoption, and I couldn't say it any better than this, of all the magnificent riches of the gospel, none is to be treasured and pondered more than our adoption in Christ. When the Father lavished his love upon us and made us his children, we weren't just street-wandering orphans looking for a good meal and a warm bed. We were self-absorbed slaves to sin and death. Indeed, we weren't in the orphanage of loneliness. We were in the morgue of hopelessness. Adoption, therefore, is the quintessential freedom for which we long and for which we've been redeemed. That's beautiful. I want to tell you, this is where it hits my heart today and this week. I often, often feel like I don't belong anywhere. Often. 
I felt it yesterday at Presbytery. Presbytery is a meeting of churches in this area for our denomination. And we met at Presbytery, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm, I'm greeting the people, and I'm talking with them, and I keep feeling like I don't belong with these folks. They're different than me. And I feel like that a lot in my life. And I have talked to some of you, and I know you have felt like that. You have felt like, I don't really fit in. I don't really belong. I don't know where I belong. And, I, and, and, and you know what? Everyone has that feeling at times because studies have shown that the belonging, the sense of belonging is so powerful, so prevalent, that it is actually one of the most fundamental human motivations we have. We all want to belong to someone or some group. Think about how readily and with great vigor we identify with a football, baseball, or basketball team. We want to belong to something bigger than ourselves. Think about how we tend to identify with a certain political party. And we can be so loyal to that party that we are willing to overlook certain things in the group because it's our party. Or think about this. Last year we had a visitor to this church, first time, Walked in, I greeted him, other people greeted him, he seemed very happy. He came up to me after the service, told me how much he appreciated the service, how much he loved the service, how much he loved the preaching, how much he loved the music. Even told me he was interested in playing music with us. But he went to another church the next week, and he looked around and he saw a lot of friends that he knew. And so he said... This is the church for me because these are people I know. I fit in here. People are looking for belonging, for a place where they fit in. You know that old uh, show, Cheers, where you wanna, everybody wants a place where they, everybody knows your name? That's what we all long for. That's the sense of belonging that kicks in. And here's the thing that has given me great comfort this week, even yesterday, even today, as I think about how I so often feel like I don't fit in anywhere, I always fit in to God's family. Because, not because of who I am, but because of what God has done in Christ. And he has said, Stuart, you might not fit in with anybody else, but you fit in here because Jesus came to seek and save you, to bring you into my family, to make you my child. And for any of you who feel like I don't fit in, I don't belong anywhere, listen to this. Here's the good news. The adopting love of God says you belong. You belong to him. If you don't belong to anything else, you belong to Jesus if you believe. And nothing, nothing, nothing in all creation can take that away from you. Hallelujah. That is some good news. 
but I want it, it gets even better than that. I mean, that's, that's awesome. That's amazing, but it even gets better. Because you see, it's not just that God adopts us into the family, and nothing can take that away from us. So not only are believers, believing sinners adopted into God's family, we also receive the Holy Spirit who confirms our status as children of God. If you believe, you not only are told that you belong, you are given the Holy Spirit who resides within you who confirms the status that you have with God. That's how serious God is about adopting sinners. That he would put his spirit in them to confirm it. And we see this in Galatians 4, 6. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Romans 8, 15 says something very similar. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is, this is what we can call God our Father, and that's an amazing statement in and of itself, that the God who created all things, the God who sustains every breath, every heartbeat, everything that goes on in the world, everything that goes on in the universe, that God says, call me daddy, call me father. That is mind-blowing. And then in Romans, uh, one more verse in Romans, the next verse, verse 16 of chapter 8, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In other words, God wanted this to be so clear, so powerful in our life, in our experience, that he not only told us, I'm adopting you, he sent his Spirit to confirm it to us. And the Spirit resides in our heart forever. Now, let me just say one thing here. There may be people here today who's like, well, I, I don't know if I've ever heard the Spirit confirming that to me. Well, there, there are reasons that could be the case. One reason may be that you're not really a believer. That's a possibility. Because true sons have the Spirit. True children of God have the Spirit. That is a non-negotiable of God. If you are his child, you have his Spirit. So if there's no Holy Spirit, there's no being a child of God. And the only thing I can tell you at that point is, plead with God, I want to be your child. Forgive me, give me Jesus, give me the Spirit, give me everything you have. I want it, forgive me of my sin. Okay? But it's also possible... Because, you know, we're dealing with Presbyterians here. Um, we're not Pentecostals, okay? And I'm not trying to slam Pentecostals. I'm just saying we're not Pentecostals. It's pretty obvious looking out at you guys that we're not Pentecostals. <laughs> just calling it like I see it. 
when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, sometimes we get really scared. Because the Spirit is something, someone, that makes us a little nervous. What if the Holy Spirit does something in me that, you know, I'm not completely in control of? What if the Spirit does something in me that makes me do something I wouldn't normally do? Well, let me just tell you, if the Spirit does that, that that's a good thing for you. Because <laughs> the Spirit's not going to cause anything to happen in you that would be bad. He is, after all, the Spirit of God. The Spirit of holiness. And the Spirit of your adoption. Okay? So maybe it's we're afraid of the Holy Spirit. And, and here's a little plug. I don't normally do this in sermons, but here's a little plug for mid-February, late February. We're starting a series called Let's Get Spiritual. And we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. Because I'm convinced that oftentimes we... We talk about the Father, and we, we get that. We understand what a Father may be. Jesus, we can sort of understand, but the Holy Spirit is mysterious, and so we need, we need to hear more about the Spirit. And so that's what we're going to be doing late February. And that's just a little plug. So if you find yourself in one of those positions, this, the same thing is true you go to Jesus and you say, forgive me of my sins. I need to know that you are with me and that you have brought me into the family of God. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Confirm to my heart that I really am your child. And I promise you, it might not happen right that second, might not happen within that day, but I promise you, if you pray that prayer and you really mean it, God's going to answer that. And the Spirit is going to confirm to you that you really are His child, if you are. And if you don't have that confirmation, well, you know what to do. Run to Jesus. It's the same for both. Run to Jesus. All right, we need to move on. All right, so we've said a couple of things here. God adopts sinners. We've said that he is so serious about making sure that we know that we really are his children, that he gives us his Holy Spirit. And then, oh boy, oh boy, this is just so, so mind-boggling. I, I don't even know how to explain it, but I'm going to try. Because we are adopted sons, we inherit everything. Because we are adopted sons, we inherit everything. So, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then you are an heir through God. 
I know many times I've come to this passage, and so why, why does he focus so much on the word son? You know, like, like today in, in 1 John 3, we talked about being a ch- we're children of God. What he's trying to do here is he's not trying to be uh, exclusive to females. I think what he's trying to say is, hey, in that culture, in that time, sons were the ones who got the inheritance. You're a son. Whether you're a daughter or a male, whether you're male or female, you're a son in the sense that you get the inheritance. As sons and daughters, God doesn't say, oh, well, you're a male, you get the inheritance. You're a female, you do not get the inheritance. No, he says, male, female, you both get the inheritance. It's yours because you're my child. Everybody gets a piece of the pie. In fact, you get the pie and the table that the pie is on and the house in which the table is in and everything else. Listen to this from Romans 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We just talked about that. Verse 17, And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. All right, so here's Paul saying, look, if you're a child, you're an heir. You're an heir of God and you are a fellow heir with Christ. If you are in a family and you are a fellow heir with someone, then that means you get to share the inheritance together. Everybody understand that? So what does Jesus inherit? That's the question. Whatever Jesus inherits, you are a fellow heir with him and you get to share it. Okay? So, Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of what? All things. All things. There is nothing that God the Father holds back from His Son Jesus, and Jesus, as our fellow heir, says, I am going to hold nothing back from you. Believe it. Believe it. Martin Luther, in his commentary on this epistle of Galatians, he says... This, this far passes all man's capacity. Yep, I agree with you, Luther. That he calls us heirs, not of some rich and mighty prince, not of the emperor, not of the world, but of almighty God, the creator of all things. This, our inheritance then, as Paul says in another place, is unspeakable. And if a man could comprehend the great excellency of this matter, 
that he is the son and heir of God. And with a constant faith, believe the same, this man would esteem all the power and riches of all the kingdoms of the world, but as filthy dung in comparison of his eternal inheritance. In other words, what what Luther is saying there, trying to explain what Paul is saying, is this. If you had everything, but you didn't have Jesus, would it be enough? If you had riches and fame and fortune, if you had all the friends, everybody who you want to be a friend to, they're there. And even some of the people that you don't want to be friends, but you still want them to want to be your friends, that was the case. If everything went your way and everything you touched turned to gold and everything you did was successful and everyone in the world loved you and admired you and respected you and you didn't have Jesus, would you be satisfied with that? And if you can say yes to that, then you don't understand just how precious Jesus is, how valuable he is. And you've missed the whole point of all of what the scriptures are saying. You don't get everything by chasing after everything. You chase after Jesus and you get him and everything else. That's his promise. Now, do I know what that looks like? I don't. Do I know how that's going to work itself out? I don't. But I do know this. If Jesus says, all is his, and because I'm his fellow heir, all is mine, then I have nothing to worry about. I have nothing to worry about. All is his. And he shares all with me. And he shares all with you who believe. That is amazing. No wonder Thomas Manton in that same sermon that I quoted earlier says this. Now that strangers should be taken into the family and put in the place of children and dealt with as children. That enemies should not only be reconciled but have liberty to own the blessed God as their father in Christ, that children of wrath should be called to inherit a blessing, that those who had so often offended God and were become slaves to Satan should be called into the liberty of the children of God. This is that which we may wonder at and say, Behold, what manner of love is this? What kind of love is this that God would take death row inmates and make them his child? And not only his child, but to say, I'm putting my spirit within you. And not only that, but to say, and I'm going to give you everything I own. Hard to believe, isn't it? Come on, let's be honest. Hard to believe. And yet... That is what the scriptures say. So, your action point, if you like action points, here it is. And it's, <laughs> it's the same one that we've been doing recently, 
Believe. Yeah, it's hard to believe, but God calls us. Believe this. Believe that God does adopt sinners into his family. And he gives them all the rights and all the privileges of being his children. Believe it. And if you say, well, I can't believe it. I don't believe that. Then say, do you want to believe it? And if you do, run to Jesus. And say, Jesus, I want to believe this, but I don't think I do. By your spirit, help me to believe. Help me to believe this is true. It seems too good to be true. Show me that it is true. And I... I'll end with um, this quote from um, Brennan Manning in his book, Abba's Child, The uh, Cry of the Heart for Intimate Belonging. And I, I think this is a great way of us thinking about what it means if we believe this to be true about ourselves, if we define ourselves radically as one beloved by God, that this is your true self. If you're a believer, this is your true self. Every other identity is illusion. If you are in Christ, if you've been adopted into the family of God, every other identity, every other thing, you're you're trying to say, this is who I am, this is who I am, this is who I am. No, that is not who you are. Who you are is a child of God. Define yourself radically by that. Leave here today thinking there is nothing about me greater than the fact that I am a child of God. And it's not because I earned it. It's not because I went looking for the Father. It's that the Father went looking for me and sent Jesus and brought me into his family and said, I forgive you. I'm putting my spirit in you. I'm giving you all of my inheritance and you are mine forever. And nothing Nothing in all creation can take that away from you. Thus says the Lord. So folks, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate that truth. Let's celebrate that we are God's children because of the Son, Jesus. Let me pray for us that we We'll celebrate, we will believe, and we will celebrate these truths. Holy Spirit, we want to believe, but we have to admit that, ooh, it's hard for us. Because these truths are just so, they're extravagant, flamboyant. They, they, They just seem like they can't be true because they're too good to be true, and yet you say that they are true. Holy Spirit, work in each one of us so that we will believe that God really does adopt sinners. That he really does put you within us. And he really does promise us everything. And that it is true that nothing can take this away from us. 
make that such a reality in our lives that we do define ourselves radically by that identity, identity that we really would say, behold, what manner of love is this, that we would be called children of God, and that is what we are. And this we pray, Jesus, in your name and for your glory. Amen.